0: This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at www.sfzc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Good afternoon. A uh, famous um, well. First of all, welcome to day one of the two-week seminar <laughs> and, uh, of the models of awakening. Um, but instead of the two weeks, we're going to squeeze it all into one hour. But we'll see how that we'll see how that goes. Uh, but I was thinking, uh, you know, there's a famous passage in a in a koan about in a koan about you know reaching for your pillow in the middle of the night, which I I think of as a, an image of full functioning, something about full functioning. By, our body knows where the pillow is, even though we're not using our conscious mind. And uh, last night, in the middle of the night, I woke up at, at recognizing that there's a funny way that I've noticed that whenever I'm going to do something like this, I can feel my body sort of preparing in some way. And, and last night, uh, in the middle of the night, uh, that I woke up thinking, I still don't know what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> I'm not prepared. And then the next thought was, uh, I've been preparing my entire life for this talk. I've been preparing my entire life for this talk. And and, and in some way, there's something about... Um, And, and when, I, when I had that thought, I felt like um, our lives are so much bigger than we usually make them. And that the, the thought of I'm not prepared was a kind of narrowing. And the thought of, oh, my whole life has been preparing for this, um, for this moment. You've all been, been, you all, your entire life has prepared you for this moment and every other moment as well, right? So something about this uh, practice of opening opening our hearts, opening our hearts and opening our minds. And uh, yeah, after, after considering many, many topics, um, I think what i what I really want to talk about today are the the seven factors of awakening, which apparently I did a little quiz on the bridge last night and and even very studious people here were not familiar with these seven factors of of awakening uh, but I want to start with a uh, a Suzuki Roshi quote or it's kind of it's it's not exactly what he said, but i've I've changed it a bit but it's the it's the spirit of what he said where he said uh, The purpose of our lives is to cross the shore from confusion to waking up. The purpose of our lives, right? So I I find a lot of people seem to wonder what their life's purpose is. And I really like that, that the purpose of our lives is to cross the shore from confusion to waking up, confusion to freedom. But then, you know, in his very... Uh, enigmatic way he goes on that doesn't stop there then the next sentence is and the secret and the secret is that we cross the shore with every step we take the purpose of our lives is to cross the shore from confusion to awakening and the secret uh, is that we cross the shore with every step we take and and I keep coming back to this uh, this apparent tension between acceptance, acceptance and discernment. Acceptance and discernment. And so it's a little bit like uh, discernment is, we cross, you know, the purpose of our lives is to cross the shore, and acceptance is... We're already there. We're already, we're already there. Uh, beings, beings are numberless uh, is, is like this acceptance. Like, beings are numberless, but I vow to save them is a kind of discernment. Uh, and uh, to me, there's a, I, always, I always fill in the third part of that, which is never said, although it's said over and over again, I believe, in the Diamond Sutra. Right? Beings are numberless, I vow to save them, and there are no beings. right So there's this sense of acceptance, discernment, and then somehow cutting through cutting through the duality of acceptance and discernment. I thought um, uh, I should say a little bit some, I mean, some of you know me for many years, and many of you don't know anything at all about me or my path, and um, so, I, um, so I, was, I, I was thinking that I first, I first walked into Tasahara when I was uh, 24, and, and I have this memory of uh, walking into the courtyard uh, by myself, kind of both, I think, excited and a bit frightened. And, and the first people I came into contact with were, uh, there were two men on the back door, kitchen back door porch laughing, just laughing. Like, it just seemed, um, it, it had such a feeling of lightness and um, connection. And it was Steve and Jordan Thorne. Uh, Steve was the Tenzo that summer and, um, and I was the uh, and Jordan, Jordan was the Fukutin, and I, and then I got to work in the kitchen as the dishwasher, uh, back in the days when the dishes were all done by hand uh, in, in the kitchen, and mm-hmm. and I used to have, um, I was the head dishwasher. You know, it was a very, very status, high status <laughs> job, uh, but I had some amazing assistants. Um, assistants would flow through the most. The most memorable assistant I had was Paul Disco. Uh, some of you may know he's kind of this master builder. Part of the um, responsibility of being the dishwasher in the kitchen during guest season was you had to eat all of the student meals and all of the guest meals as well. And uh, Paul rigged a food warmer underneath the sterilizer, where when, when the food came back, we would, we would put these beautiful guest dinners underneath the sterilizer, next to the flame, so that when the dishes were done, we would have, we would have guest guest meals. That was a, a Paul Disco uh, creation. Um, but I, uh, I, I just loved being here. And things were a little different then than they are now, in that um, uh, a, a group of people used to meet. And maybe this still happens to some degree. But people would meet regularly and look at all of the people and all of the positions. And there was quite a bit of moving, quite a bit of moving around from place to place. I think a lot more then than there is now. After I was here for a year and a half, I was um, approached by the director and said that it was time for me to leave Tassahara and go to Green Gulch. And I said I wasn't ready. And he said, "We're not asking you." <laughs> <laughs> and and. Um, And then, uh, the second part of that, and we want you to be in charge of the draft horse farming project at Green Gulch. And I often say this little joke, you know, that I I thought they misread my resume. Uh, The fact that I was from the Garden State seemed to think that that I knew something about farming, and that I was pretty good in gymnastics, uh, particularly the horse um, in in high school and college. Uh, But I I knew nothing. About farming or or horses, but went to Green Gulch, and um, and found that I loved doing things with my hands, and and re- kind of remembered that um, you know, my father was an electrician you know, growing up in New Jersey, and he was always doing things with his hands, building things, and I think he very, I think it was quite intentional that he didn't want me to do that. He had this image of me being a you know, white collar worker, a doctor, a lawyer, or something, I, I suppose. And there I was, you know, with horses. Mm-hmm. And, and I learned to sew harness and, you know, and feeding horses and driving teams. And re- I learned to weld. And I was just like in, uh, I felt in my element bodily there. But then, of course, um, three years later, I got tapped on the shoulder again and said it was we want you to come to Tassahara, and we'd like you to be the um, the Fukutin the assistant to the head cook and that was I spent a year with Tia Strozer as the Tenzo and then the following year uh, I was the Tenzo and uh, Gil Fronsdale was my Fukutin and to this day whenever I see Gil he calls me boss Uh, And um, I mean, one of the uh, yeah, I I think um, there was something very um, uh, moving for me being um, uh, in the kitchen, always something very deep and powerful, a little bit like what Steve was talking about. And I felt that. it was it was quite something for me to um, to bake bread today. First time I've baked bread here in I think forty four years, forty five years. I was the baker for a summer um, when um, we used to make a hundred loaves a day all by hand, and I can remember the first half the first half of that summer I was exhausted every day from. Getting up early and baking baking bread, but by the second half of the summer, my body figured out how to do it, and and I feel like I spent most of that time uh, drinking coffee and tea, uh, waiting, letting letting the bread do its thing. So there was something, something about, um, about work, about using using my body, and then especially. Um, I think being Tenzo, running up against my own mental models and habits and shortcomings as a, as a leader, seeing how hard it was for me to ask people to do things and how much confusion that caused. And then uh, then the following year being director. And, and again, I felt like it was always this, I think this interesting process of dealing with <coughs> this tension, um, between, uh, acceptance, um, I keep forgetting, it's funny, that, that word, discernment, discernment, acceptance and discernment. And, and, and this is one, uh, this is one of those areas where I think it's, it's, you know, in many things in Zen and Buddhism, it's the middle way. But I think for dis- for discernment and acceptance, it's to be really good at both simultaneously. Similar to uh, pain and possibility, I think is another is another. It, it's it's my I think it's my abbreviation of the four noble truths is pain and moving. Moving from pain to possibility to pain and possibility. So, not avoiding pain. Not pain is not a bad thing. Suffering is not a bad thing, but not getting caught. Not getting caught by suffering, but not avoiding suffering through possibility. Uh, so, acceptance. Acceptance is this practice of open-heartedness and and the the reality that uh, li- living living with this sense of uh, appreciating, appreci- appreciating our lives, appreciating everything, and yet uh, discernment is being able to see, uh, to see distinctions and differences, uh, which are which are also uh, super important. Um, anyhow, back to my story. Uh, after it, one of the things that surprised me about being director and uh, running the kitchen was. Feeling the uh, the possibility of um, leading and and building things or doing things, there was something that really grabbed my attention about uh, the world the world of work and work as practice. And I wondered why 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 isn't everyone in the world integrating? the sense of practice, the sense of heartfulness, the sense of pain and possibility, the sense of acceptance and discernment into their day-to-day lives. It seems like it just made so much sense. And then um, uh, yeah, I, met, I met a couple of really influential people uh, that summer. One was a, a, a man named Rudy Hurwich, who was an, uh, an Engineer and inventor, and was like the first businessman that I met, who I felt like had incredible integrity, and, and and presence, and there was a sense of, wow, you know, I had this. I think I had this mental model, business as bad. Rudy was the opposite of that, and then I also met a um, a woman who, a woman named Jennifer Fudernick who had just been the editor of a book called In Search of Excellence. Um, In Search of Excellence was the number one selling uh, business book in the world at the time. And and when I read that book, I thought it was actually taking a lot of the ideas from Zen practice and incorporating them into the business world. Things like, like, uh, like listening. Things like the importance of understanding one's uh, mental models. And I ended up going to, uh, uh, to business school. And, and I've been, since then, in that, in that world. And I was thinking, as, as I was um, uh, getting ready to do this talk, that uh, I spent the last uh, 10 years. Kind of traveling around the world, speaking to different groups, and doing speaking, and workshops, and, and it's interesting. My the my all-time favorite talk I didn't get to do. Uh, I I got right before the pandemic. I got um, contacted by Homeland Security, uh, saying that they were having a meeting. Uh, in Connecticut at the Coast Guard Academy with the heads of Homeland Security, the Secret Service, the FBI, and that they were, there was tremendous suffering there. Homeland Security, 250,000 employees, and the highest suicide rate that they've, that they've ever had under uh, Donald Trump. I mean, imagine having to carry out those crazy orders. And um, I was really looking forward to m- you know meeting with those people and speaking with those people, and I did I did once um, I did once get to teach mindfulness at the CIA, uh, which was super interesting, and um, actually I was so impressed I was so impressed with the people there, and outside of the room where I was uh, doing these trainings was a Hanh quote said that the greatest gift you can give someone is your presence by Thich Nhat Hanh. And they were people, for the most part, who really believed in their hearts that they were, they had devote, they were devoting their lives uh, to protect the United States from, from foreign invasions and so forth. And they seemed like really good, smart people. So the seven factors of awakening. Uh, the first factor is mindfulness. Uh, the second is uh, God. Why do I keep having trouble with that word? Discernment, discernment, uh, mindfulness, discernment. Uh, then um, diligence, uh, joy, ease, concentration, and it's an interesting. I like. I, I really appreciate Thich Han's um interpret translations that uh, he has the seventh as uh, letting go letting go it's more regularly translated as equanimity but I like I like letting go so I think mostly I want to focus on just a little bit on um, particularly the first the third and the last mindfulness uh that word what's that <laughs> discernment. word discernment discernment See, see I this is I think this is great because discernment is hard for me. I I I struggle with dis I've I'd say that I struggled with discernment all of my life. Uh, acceptance comes naturally to me. I'm great at accepting. It's one of my strengths and probably one of my weaknesses. But discernment, discernment is something that uh, I've been working on much of my much of my life. One of the things I learned from know uh, the school of hard knocks, as it were, without discernment and without really dealing with especially with conflict and difficulty as a leader, you can really get in trouble the only The only ways I've ever gotten in trouble um, have been through it ign- by avoiding conflict, right through lack lack of lack of discernment, And So sometimes, uh, sometimes complete acceptance of peop- uh, of other of others is um, inappropriate. is can be can be really inappropriate and not not effective. You know, there's an expression in, in Buddhism: skillful means, and and all of this, I think, is. Um, is around finding, finding greater freedom, or as Suzuki Roshi says, right, moving, moving from confusion to freedom. And for part of my own path, I feel like, is to really more and more uh, become more skillful at discernment, at discernment. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I'd say that I've mar- I married someone who's great at discernment and can use a little more on the acceptance, <laughs> the acceptance side. <laughs> and, and 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 I would say that that is a very healthy thing that if if you're if you're really good at discernment, look for someone who's good at uh, acceptance. And if you're really good at acceptance, hopefully you'll find someone who's really good at discernment. What if you're good at neither? <laughs> Deep trouble. (laughs) No, actually, we're gonna we're gonna do a little exercise around that at the end. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, in some way, we're all. That's a great question. I mean, I I shouldn't joke about that because most of us are not good. You know, in some way, we're not good at at either. And so, I would, you know, in the scheme of things, I'm I'm better at acceptance. But I have a lot, a lot of work to do there. It's not like I don't feel like I'm an expert at acceptance. It's, it's my natural tendin- it's my natural tendency. Um, you know, it's interesting. There's all these, um, there's all these wonderful models of of psychology that, um, and models of growth and awakening. And one is the you know the yogacara, the eight the eight um, Types of consciousness, and there the the eighth is storehouse consciousness. is Is what are our deepest what are our deepest patterns and and habits? Uh, So it's interesting, even um, even zazen practice. I think there is a kind of discernment that brings us. I think to practice to sit to sit practice or just to come. What brings us? There's something that brings us to the cushion. There's some, we have some, it, I think it would be, you know, in, uh, not real to say that there isn't something that brings, there's something that brings us. But then, when we sit on the cushion, or when we begin to practice, it's letting go of it. Letting go of, like, not, not, not trying to be some certain way, trying to, uh, yeah, yeah to this, this practice, this practice of acceptance, acceptance. I think I, I was telling someone I've, I've been reading. Um, uh, one of my favorite authors is an um, American Indian author, Jhumpa Lahiri. Some of you have bet know her. She wrote uh, The Namesake, um, Interpreter of Maladies. And her, one of her most recent books is called um, In Other Words. And it's a book that she wrote in Italian. Even her native language is Bengali and English. But she decided she really wanted to learn this other language. She kind of fell in love with Italian. And to me, it re- it reminds me a lot of falling in love with practice. And, and she describes that in order to learn Italian, the image she, she paints is... It's as though she was walking into a pond, and she walks out a little bit where she has a trouble standing, and she gets scared, and she goes back. But then she goes out further, and she finds herself in the middle of the pond, and it's too far to go back. She can only go forward.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And this, to me, is a great image of zazen practice, or of practice, of Little by little, letting go of those safe mental models that we have. So as I was, this this is one of I'd say one of my practices is how can I not be caught by my my tendency toward acceptance and move more toward discernment. What is what is my mental model that that keeps me safe in ex, in acceptance, and how can how can I move more toward this, this idea of a uh, discernment? So, the seven factors of awakening. The first one is mindfulness. Um, and, um, you know, mindfulness is, is this enormous body of, of work. But basically, you know, it, it started with the four, four foundations of mindfulness is the earliest, one of the earliest texts in which mindfulness is, is mentioned. Mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feelings, mindfulness of um, of the mind, and mindfulness of objects of mind. It's often translated as seeing patterns, seeing patterns. So it's interesting um, that a, a lot of a lot of Buddhist practitioners forget how important feelings are. Right. So one of the uh, one of the um, seminars that I'd like, love to give is on emotional intelligence, and, and the study the study of our emotions, um, and and I think there's so much overlap between, um, stu- I mean, in some way, you know, what else do we have to study other than our um, emotions, our emotions, our feelings, and our feelings are in the in the body and 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 in the mind, right? So mindfulness, you know, I. Uh, a, a CEO client of mine the other day said, I'm so tired of... I, I, don't, I don't want any about this mindfulness stuff. Um, I just want to know the whole picture. And I said, great. That's a great definition of mindfulness. <laughs> the whole picture. The whole picture. What you're feeling, what you're avoiding, your pain, your possibilities... What the people you're working with are feeling, avoiding their pain, their possibilities. Let's really look at the whole picture. We don't have to look at mindfulness. So I actually think that's a great uh, definition of mindfulness. The aspiration to know the whole picture. The whole picture. The um, The second factor of awakening is discernment. Which I think is really interesting—that mindfulness is first, and then discernment is the um, is the second, right? So discernment, um, you know, things, and, and I think uh, I've noticed that there's um, it's it, it's hard for a lot of people. I mean, Zen Zen tends to, I'd say, really, it looks like Zen practice emphasizes acceptance, and the discernment piece. Tends to get short short drift. Um, it's it's um, yeah. Beings beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Well, how many are you saving? What are you doing to save them? What 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 does that actually mean? Or delusions are inexhaustible. I vow I vow to end them. I think. You know the beings are numberless and delusions are inexhaustible. It can be a way out, of what are we actually what are we actually doing? What are we actually doing to help other people? What are we actually and and it doesn't have to be a lot of people, you know. It can be one person, um, and um, and to really be as much bring some discernment to what our own delusions are and how we are working with those, with those delusions with some, uh, with some precision, right? So a little, a little more precision in our practice for many of us. I'm talking to myself here. But you know, what's interesting to me, under, underlying, underlying all of these practices, I'm more and more getting the feeling it has to do with uh, self-love, that all of these practices, I think the more we can love and accept ourselves and have some discernment about how we're, how we're doing, but with, with self-love being the container. Um, and, uh, and it's interesting. I, I notice this more and more in the world of leadership and in the world of work that the the, the number the number one quality that I find people need to develop is self love. So it's interesting, you know, in in this this tension between uh, acceptance and discernment, you know, there's um, if it, if if you notice that there's some discomfort there, this is good. I would say I would also say that the the, the a really important quality of practicing is to not avoid discomfort, right? Because there's some discomfort in this idea that I need to develop more discernment, or I need to develop more acceptance, or uh, or or any of the things that I'm uh, wanting to do better, or grow, or or develop. Uh, Staying with it, staying with it, or that image of being out in the pond of Jimpa Lahiri—it's uncomfortable, right? Being—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a little scary. It's a little uncomfortable, and I think this is why we need community, and I think this is why teachers um, are so um, valuable. That we have that we have friends, we have support, um, we have other people that we're working with, that we can uh, help each other through uh, through this. Sense of uh, discomfort. There's a, um, yeah, so anyhow, mindfulness, discernment, and the last, uh, letting letting go, uh, letting letting go, or equanimity. Uh, so in some in some way, all of these are uh, meant to support our practice of self-love, but also I think it's important that we uh, keep coming back to what can we do to influence the world in a positive way? What, what can we do to influence the world in a positive way? I'm really glad. I, I've been, um, during breaks, I've, I've managed to read two of these books here. Um, I, I read Earthland's, Earthland's book, which is phenomenal. And I also read uh, Ruth King's book. These, there's a, I assume you all, there's a great library here about books on, on race. I'd like to suggest that we had another bookshelf for books about climate change.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and um, there's a, um, uh, I, I didn't write down the exact quote, but there's a beautiful, a beautiful quote uh, by a man named Maybe some of you are familiar with a man named John Seed, who is someone who was hanging out with Ram Das. And he said something, this is a, a kind of abbreviating a longer um, quote of his. He says, nothing but a miracle will be of any use. When you look at things like climate change and racism, there's nothing on the horizon that could help. What kind of miracle... Uh, would it take to change these things like climate change or gun violence or any of the other, racism, what would it take? He said, um, it would be easy. All it would take is for human beings to wake up different, to decide to change. That's all it would take, is for human beings to wake up different and decide to change. But he said, but this isn't very likely. Um, The miracle, uh, (laughs) but the real miracle is that we are descended, we humans are descended from a fish that chose to walk on land. With a pedigree like that, anything is possible. Mm -hmm. We're descended, we are descended from a fish that chose to walk on land. With a pedigree like that, anything is possible.
1: Yeah. I'm struggling with the word discernment what do you
0: mean by Yeah, so what I was thinking uh, I was thinking I I could have I could have had used a little bit more discernment in describing discernment. Um, so for example, I would say um, in Rinzai Zen there is a program of koans that you have to work through. And there's a kind of discernment that the teacher makes of the student. Did you, did you penetrate that koan? Yeah. It's a discernment practice, I, I would say. As is another example would be, I don't know if you're familiar with the ten ox-herding pictures. They're a, they're, they're a path to awakening in ten particular steps. They're very particular. Each one is particular. Now... Soto Zen tends to put that down as, oh, that's stepladder Zen, or that's some... Um, I, I personally think they both, you know, they both have their place, right? So, I th- again, I think Soto Zen tends to f- shy away from anything that... Now, again, discern, it, it is one of... I, I would, if, if, I were really, if I were really doing discernment justice, I'd go back and see what the original word is and how it's unpacked but I think it, I think it is a kind of seeing cl- seeing clearly seeing seeing difference um, and and I and I think an application would be a uh, having some sense of path or progression or development I mean I would I would go as far as to say that one way that I look at Zen practice is that it's the practice of developing one's character. And, and that you do that by focusing on a variety of different things. Which, again, that's one school. The other school is I also love, you know, Suzuki Roshi says, just keep practicing and you'll be wet like the fog. But that, that's almost the non-discernment school, But um, but discernment is, I think, being more precise in how we are practicing. Yeah, but you want to say anything about that? Uh, No, thank you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm appreciating what you're saying and what others are saying. Thank you. Yes. Um, This is just in response to what you were just saying. for me, acceptance is, is is really not about the discernment of good or bad. It's just that something is. And not being, not grasping it, not pushing it away, not being at war with it. It just is. And the discernment is then, OK, now that I'm willing to actually see what is, how do I respond? And does it? You know, is it harmful? Does it lead to more suffering? Mm-hmm. Or does it, um, is it beneficial? Does it lead to freedom? And what you were saying about the teacher is like that's, that's kind of on behalf of, that's discernment about another person's practice, mm-hmm. but it's also about our own practice. Like when little children play like warmer, colder, like are you getting, you know, like pick an object in the room, and you w- move around the room.
0: It's like you're
1: getting warmer. You're getting mm-hmm. colder. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Kind of feeling your way in the dark. Yeah, yeah. I, a um, a phrase or practice that I have been that I like a lot. that I use a lot in the organizational world, but I actually think it works in terms of our own. It certainly works you know. any place where we're working together, whether it's the kitchen or the garden. But I think it works even for, as a way to define our own practice as compassionate accountability. Compassionate accountability. Again, it's a little bit like radical acceptance, radical love. Everything is fine. And accountability is a kind of you know, having... Having this this sense of that word that I, I it's so funny I can't keep it in my mind, that word is discernment, discernment, discernment. discernment. <laughs> discernment. Mental block. That word was disassociation. <laughs> <laughs> but accounta, account you know, accountability is a little bit more like that. Koan study or the ten ox like there's there's some like how how are how are you how are you tracking? How are you doing? Um, I think super important in any groups working together, super important in, in relationship, right? It's like, how, how, how are we doing? How's it, how's it going? What's working? What's not working? All those things are, are a kind of discernment practice. And at the same time, ideally, I think this um, held, held by compassion, held by love by real love and real care, and to be really good, at both, to aspire to do both really, really well. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your financial support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information, visit sfcc.org and click giving.